it's um, it's really kind of special to be up here. I appreciate the opportunity. This reminds me, um, many don't know, my father was a pastor, and this reminds me of those early days when I was just a little boy, and people would come to our house and meet, and it was just, I think, about seven families that would come together, and that's kind of where the church had started there. And so I know we've got more online, and thank you for being there, but this is kind of neat. It just kind of brings me back a little bit with that. But uh, let's pray for the message today. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you not in and of ourselves, but through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask that through the Spirit, you teach us what we need to know, what we need to understand, that you use your words, Lord, not only to, to teach us, but to help show us above all what we must apply. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather, and we pray for those who were not able to make it, those who are sick. We ask that you lift them up. Those in our congregation, Lord, you know every need that we have. We, have, we pray for those physical needs. But above that, Lord, we pray, we pray for the spiritual needs. I ask that you use this broken vessel today, Lord, to speak through and uh, teach your sheep what we need to know. In your son's name, amen. So I saw a clip of a movie, and I couldn't even tell you what the movie is on YouTube, and I'll do my best to kind of give you how that went. It says, have you ever seen the, uh, the nature documentaries on television? Did you ever see those? Did you ever see the one about lions? There's this lion, you know, king of the jungle, huge mane out to here. And he's lying under a tree in the middle of Africa. And he's so big, he's so hot, he doesn't want to move. The little lions, they start messing with him, biting his tail, biting his ears, doesn't do anything. A lioness, she comes around, starts messing with him, making trouble, still nothing. Well, the other animals, they start to notice this. They start to move in. The jackals, the hyenas, they're barking at him and laughing at him, getting bolder and bolder, biting his tail, eating the food in his domain. All the while, closer and closer, mocking him, bolder and bolder, until one day, the lion gets up and tears them all to pieces, runs like the wind, devours everyone in his path. Why? Because sometimes the lion has to remind the jackals who he is. And today, we're going to be talking about a lion. The Bible talks about a lion from the tribe of Judah. A lion that we more popularly know as a lamb. This lion is both the lion and the lamb. But I think the lamb is a little easier to receive. You know, you think about a lion, they're powerful, they're terrifying, the king... A lamb is, I mean, it's a lamb. It's easy to receive. There's nothing to be afraid of there. And I would suggest that when we look at this, we understand that Jesus is both of those things. Uh, Jesus first came into the earth as the lamb, right, to fulfill God's promise to redeem man, to save us from sin, to save us from ourselves. And that blood of the innocent lamb as we just celebrated with communion, that, that cup represents the blood of that innocent lamb of God, where in his death, he took upon my sin. He took upon your sin. The sin that separates us from God, the, the sin that without Christ, without that lamb, without that sacrifice, threatens to separate us from God for all eternity. That's what that lamb was here for. John the Baptist is our first, uh, in John 1, 
John the Baptist was a messenger that came, and he was the one that was proclaiming the Messiah. He was proclaiming the arrival of this lamb. And we pick up in verse 29, John 1, 29. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was not any man. This was both God and man. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came to baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. John the Baptist was the messenger that told us this is the Lamb of God that we've been awaiting. Well, to kind of understand how important that moment is, we're going we're gonna to back this trolley train way up, okay? Now, stay with me because i got to go quickly to get through all this and still have you guys out here in time to watch your team lose today in the football, okay? So stay with it. It, it will move quickly, and if you, if you, if you drop off, it's going to be tough to stay on this, okay? So we go to the beginning. We go to, we go to where things started, and that's how quickly we have to move. We're going to start in Genesis and finish in Revelation. So you understand, we got a journey here, okay? So in the beginning, God creates this perfect world, this utopia, this garden, where there is no pain, no suffering, no death, no corona, <laughs> right? It's just this perfect environment. We're not even killing animals at this point. The vegetation has within it enough to sustain life. This is wonderful. And I would, I would venture to believe there weren't no mosquitoes. Can't stand them little buggers. Okay? So we've got this perfect world. We're going to pick up in Genesis 3. And what has just happened is God gave Adam and Eve, he gave them this entire utopia with one command, and that was to not touch the tree in the middle of the garden. That was it. One tree, one bit of fruit, don't touch that. That is all the command that we had. And isn't it just in our nature that the one thing we don't have, we want? Isn't that funny? And isn't it funny that that, that deception 101 is still happening today, isn't it? We're not, we're not meant to. You pick up your phone, you pick up the television. It doesn't say, be happy with the blessings you have. It says, you'll be happy if you just have this, if you just have a little more. It's funny how that's continued. He hasn't had to play us much since then because we keep falling for the same thing. Anyways, Adam and Eve have just eaten from the tree, and they are now hiding from God. They are aware they have sinned, and we pick up. God comes to them, and he says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man says, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And I do like to pause there for a second. If you find yourself, and we all will, in the presence of the almighty holy God, and your plan is to blame your spouse for what you've done wrong in your life. Well, if I didn't have this husband, if I didn't have this wife, if I didn't have these parents, if I didn't grow up in this culture, if I didn't have these disadvantages, then I would. It didn't work here, and it's not going to work then. Take accountability. You're sinning because you're sinful, and so am I. That's why. Now, sure, the relationships we carry play into that, but at the end of the day, the Lord does not hold us accountable for the sins of those close to us. He holds us accountable for what we do, our sins, right? Let's continue. 
So the, the, the man blames the woman, the woman blames the serpent. So God says to the serpent, because you have done this, the serpent representing the Satan as well, he was one and the same, the serpent. Cursed are, are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life. And now here's, here's the important part. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he, we're talking about an individual now, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is an important part when we talk about this is the seed that John the Baptist then proclaims. And we'll come to that in a minute. But let's just have a little fun with this real quick. Going to 16, and now we're seeing the, the judgment, right? We have sinned. And, and what I love about this, this thing here is we're about to see God's judgment because God is just, but you see his mercy in here as well. As he's pronouncing these judgments that fall on us, he also pronounces that he's going to send a Savior to save us from that. Isn't that something amazing? That even in the punishment, God offers mercy through that. But let's take a look at this, and we'll see. I always just like to show the Bible is the living word of God. It has always rung true since the beginning of time, and it will ring true until the end of time. And let's just look at a couple of these things. So to the woman, he says, because she has disobeyed, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to your children. What do you say, ladies? Does that come true? I hear it has. I've seen it, and I was scared. I was in the nurse. I thought I was going to faint. I was getting ready for the nurses and doctors for me. That's the painful childbirth. That is part of this. And then he goes a little further. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And don't confuse that desire. That's not the desire that's like the first year and a half of when you meet him. Oh, my sweet husband, what can I do? For I'm not talking about that desire. This is a desire for control and power. You see, when God created man and woman, he gave us unique attributes that worked in complete unison, a perfect harmony, if you will. What we're seeing here is the curse where that changes. Now there's going to be a power struggle. The desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. This struggle is what we still, still see going on today, isn't it? Instead of a harmonious relationship where the husband and wife are working together and using each other's skills to grow and create followers for Christ and influence this world, we're spending time trying to convince each other who should make the decisions and who's in control. The husband's busy trying to control the woman. The woman's trying to control the man. And we've got all kinds of discord. And I'm not saying picking a, picking a partner doesn't play something into that, but I would suggest to you that it doesn't matter the partner you pick. This right here would suggest that there will be strife and frustration within that marriage because of the fall, because of sin, not because your husband or wife isn't doing what they need to. We all need to get better at that. But my point is, even if they were to, to re reach quote-unquote perfection, this would prevent us from that. We've got a problem, and this is direct from God. Recognize that when you have a problem with your partner, that this is not necessarily just them. This is, this is part of the fall that they can't overcome. To Adam, he says, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree, which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the ground. Cursed is the, the earth 
It didn't, it wasn't the way that it is now with all the issues and disasters that we're dealing with. This was not the original thing. This was cursed because of man. Step back just for a second there, just so we don't confuse this men. Because you listen to your wife, I've had people sometimes say, well, there, see, <laughs> I don't need to listen to my wife. That's not what this is saying. Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, which what? I commanded you, you must not eat. And that's the phrase there. It doesn't matter if it's your husband, your wife, your parents, your school teachers, your government. If it goes against the word of God, you are not to listen to that. That's the point here. God gives us commandments. And we are seeing right now in our age, the government is getting more and more involved in how we need to run our day-to-day -day lives. And it is going to cross this bridge in America where they're going to tell you that you need to start going against the command of God. That's when your listening stops. That's when things change. It's important that we understand the commands of God so we can be aware when it switches over to that side of things. Give you a quick example of something I would see with this. Obviously, this vaccine has, a, has a, uh, some polar opposites, right? We've got what we're calling the anti-vaxxers over here, and the media tells us that we've got this. I don't find the vaccine in this Bible. That's not a Christian principle. That's, that's your choice. That's not something I find God saying yes or no. But the Bible does speak about a mark of the beast that will come someday, that will, that will be the Antichrist mark, and that will be something you must refuse because that's a commandment of God. You need to study this so you can understand and be discerning with those differences that come along. Let's continue on. So cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. And that sweat of the brow there, and, and, and men and women, we all deal with this, with this world. Sometimes the, the general world, the Satan wants to say, hey, everything's going to be good. You work hard and everything's going to go your way. No problems. That's not what this is. Through toil, thorns and thistles, through difficulties you will produce. That's all right. That's all right. That is still a privilege to work, but you can see here it's not going to be as easy as going and picking a piece of fruit. Now we have to produce and we have to work for that. And, and don't we feel the stress of that? Those that are providing for a household, don't we, don't we feel, doesn't that weigh down? This is a part of our sin. This is part of the curse that we one day want lifted. And that's why this lamb comes. Dust you are and dust you will return. COVID or not. My mom said that COVID was a blessing, and for a second there, I thought I, I might have to check on her because something might be wrong there. But what she meant by that was if it makes you aware of your mortality, that's a good thing. Because to carry on in life like it will never end, that's where the deceiver wants you. That's where Satan wants you. He wants you to just carry on as if life will always carry on. But the fact of the matter is, whether it's COVID or not, each one of us, our life will come to an end, will it not? The sooner we get thinking and get serious about understanding that and start focusing on the word so we can be prepared for that, the better. I don't wish that anyone would be sick, but I can tell you I come into contact with a lot of people and I can see in the eyes those who are afraid of COVID and afraid of death differently than the believers who are afraid of death. Don't want to go through it, but not afraid of that second death. There's a difference in those eyes. Okay. We're doing all right so far? 
still moving. So if you remember from Sunday school, we're talking about the seed, right? We, we, we talked about that seed in Genesis 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. That is Satan. That is the devil. That is death. That is sin. Between that and the woman, the seed, he will crush your head. That's a death blow. He will crush your head. That is a death blow, meaning the seed will conquer Satan. He will conquer death. He will conquer sin, and it will be done. It will be forever. And he, this is now talking about Satan, will strike your heel. Ah, my heel. This is what we see in the death and resurrection. Christ was crucified, but then raised on the third day, conquering that. It was not a death blow. It was a strike on the heel that he overcame. So if you remember from Sunday school, uh, a, a fellow Father Abraham, you remember that? Anybody had this? Father Abraham had many sons. Yeah, that's a few got them there. So Father Abraham, he is the one that we're going to see this seed comes through. So Adam and Eve, the fall, all kinds of bad stuff, the flood, judgment, all these things, and things are going pretty awry, and it looks like what's going to happen. And we pick up where God calls Abraham out of this chaos to create a people of his own that the seed can come from. Let's look at Genesis chapter 12. Am I seeing the same thing? Very good. I'm going to read it to you. Genesis chapter 12, 1, the call of Abram. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you blessed through his seed that is going to come. All the peoples of the earth would be blessed through this line of Abraham that God is calling to the side. So Abraham, he gets called by God as we just read. Abraham has a son. His name is Isaac. Isaac has a son. His name is Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, and we'll see in a little bit, Jacob, the father of these 12 sons, is also Israel. He is renamed Israel, which becomes that nation. He's got 12 boys, the most famous of which those 12 boys you know as Joseph. You know Joseph, the coat of many colors, Joseph, whose jealous brothers sold him into Egypt, meant it for evil, and God used it for good. That's the Joseph. He's one of these 12 sons of Jacob, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And as you know, he gets over to Egypt and then brings the family into Egypt. Fast forward 430 years or so, and now you've got these 12 tribes of Jacob that have become this massive amount of people living in Egypt. Right? They threaten Egypt. They pers they're persecuted there. And we're introduced to another famous fellow. Remember this guy? Let my people go. Yeah, who are we talking about? Moses, right? And God calls Moses and he says, enough. I hear the cries of my people in Egypt. Abraham's line, let's pull these people out of Egypt. And so Moses is charged with getting them out of Egypt. And you guys are probably familiar with that tale. That's a pretty well-known story. A little detour in the wilderness before we get to the promised land, right? A little crazy. But we get over there, okay? So back to Jacob real quick. Jacob, obviously Israel, the father of those 12. I want to give you a glimpse. We've got these 12 tribes of Israel. They're brought out and go to the promised land. Well, Jacob is given a glimpse of what the future holds for Abraham's line, okay? God gives him a, a, a vision or a, an idea of what's going to happen to this line. And so Jacob pulls his sons into a meeting and says, sons, 
we're going to have this meeting. I'm going to tell you what the Lord has told me. So we pick up in Genesis chapter 49 for this one. See, we're moving pretty quick. Genesis chapter 49. Then Jacob called for his sons and said, gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob, listen to your father Israel. And there you see that reference. Jacob is also, he's their father and his name is also Israel, which becomes the nation. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power, turbulent as the waters. You will no longer excel. Huh? That took a turn, <laughs> didn't it? For you went up to your father's bed onto my couch and defiled it. Reuben committed a grave sin and defiled his father's bed. So not so good so far. Simon and Levi are brothers. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Ooh, also not looking too good here. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger, so fierce, and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. So far, not so good. And I don't know if you know much about Jacob and these kids, but one thing that is encouraging to me as I read this is God is very used to getting his purposes done through broken people. One of them standing in front of you. Broken people. Sometimes I, I talk to people outside of church. They say, well, I can't go to church. You know, that's for the good people. I said, you got it all wrong, pal. The broken are in this place because we, we understand that we're broken. Anyways, let's hope for something better. So far, we've gotten through a few kids, and it's not looking too bright. Now we get to Judah. Let's see what Judah's got for us. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion. He crouches down. He crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? You see, this is where the lion is now introduced to us. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of nation shall be his. So here we see the tribe of Judah, right? That was one of the sons, is identified with a lion. This becomes the royal line, the kingship line. That scepter part that we see at the bottom there, that big, big staff with something fancy usually at the top, that represents that that individual that carries that scepter has absolute power and authority. That's what that scepter meant. The king of the land carried that scepter. And we see in there that it says the line of Judah will carry that scepter. Fast forward 13 generations and we meet a fellow here with a wonderful name, Jesse. <laughs> Jesse was a farmer with eight sons, okay, the most famous of which struck down the infamous giant. Who's that? Goliath, right? And that is none other than David, who becomes King David. He is from that same line of Judah, the lion tribe, okay? So 
we go from, from David down, and I'll just kind of run through this here. You see from King David down to Jesus, there's another 28 generations or so, okay? So we got Abraham all the way down to David, David all the way down to Jesus. And Jesus is the lion, the tribe of Judah, the lamb of God, the lamb and the lion. This is the one that we're talking about in verse 10 of that, the verse we had read. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until what? He to whom it belongs, that is Jesus, the lion from the tribe of Judah. It is to him the scepter belongs. He shall come and the obedience of nations, the obedience of the world. He will conquer and rule this world. That is the Lord. It shall be his. Jesus arrives on the scene. Okay, so now we're, we're, coming, all, we're coming up. See, we're moving quick here. How are we doing? Yeah. All right. Jesus arrives on the scene, and Jesus creates, uh, you know, we understand him as the healer. The, he, Jesus is love. Jesus is, is compassion. And yes, he is all those things. They didn't kill him because of how sweet he was. They killed him for saying things like this. There's no salvation from sin or death without faith in me. That's where, whoa, whoa, wait a second there, pal. I'm cool with the free bread. I'm cool with the healings. I'm cool with this message of love as much as the church is these days. But to tell me that I can't be saved without you, this is, this is a grave offense. Jesus in John 14, 6 says, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Nobody except through me. These are not my words. This is the words that Christ said. Not good works. Not faiths, not all, all your other religions that tie in works, your Buddhism, your, your Hinduism, your Judaism, your Catholicism by works, that we can somehow do something enough and earn it and get there. Jesus is saying none of that can do it. That's what he said. He goes on to say in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? When he says, even though they die, that's the physical death that will come to all of us because of the fall, because of the sin. But in Christ, through the blood, through that sacrifice, we don't have to experience the second death, which is eternity separated from God. We will be restored in life. This is what Jesus says. He says, do you believe this? Believe what? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15 for a little more clarity on believe what? And we hear, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Raised on the third day. We just celebrated Christmas. Christmas is great, but let me tell you something. I don't worship a baby Jesus. That's, that's not where it's at. This was, this was the promise. This is a wonderful season to celebrate, but do you want to know what? Easter's better. Easter's better. Why? Because that was when Jesus overcame death. He was the only one worthy to overcome death. My faith is in that Jesus. The one that says, I'll take you with me if you but place your faith in me. Not works, 
by the grace of God alone that we can have eternal life. Believe in what? Believe that Jesus came to take on your sin, my sin, the penalty that would separate us from death. Believe that he was that sacrifice and believe that he rose. That grave is empty. None of these other prophets, none of these other false religions, there's bones in those graves. They're probably dust now. But his is empty. He conquered death, and that's the Jesus I want to follow. So that's the Lamb of God in a nutshell, okay? Lamb comes in, dies, resurrection. That's where our saving. And right now, that invitation is very open. Let's finish off here with the lion. The end of days, make no mistake, will come. The world does not come to an end by human hands. It's not war, it's not corona, and it's not pollution. Recycling is good. I think you should take care. We should be good stewards of the things we have. But this world isn't destroyed by something we do. It is destroyed by the lion. It has a finite time. Jesus is asked, what will be uh, the sign of your coming at the end of age? His disciples ask that. He gives us an answer in Matthew 24. He says, but about that day, this is the end, end of age. This is when he comes back to finish off this world, to finish off this plan that he's got. About that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father, the Father, right? We've got Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit. We've got the Trinity. The Father has that day in mind. We are not going to extend it, and we are not going to cut it short. There will be a day the Lord extends his hand to end this, this world, to end the suffering, to end this curse that we have. Okay, so we see this here, and he says, for in the days, oh yeah, sorry, only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah, and this is an interesting thing, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of man. How was it in those days? For in those days, before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving into marriage, up until the day Noah entered the ark. People were carrying on. Life will always carry on the way it's been. Where is God? There will be no change. And then, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Just like that. There's, there's, it's just boom. It wasn't raining. It had never rained. And now it was flooding. And it was too late. We see this transaction happen in Revelation 5. God picks up. When he reaches out his hand and he offers out, God, if you imagine, on the throne, reaches out his hand and he has the title deed to the earth. And he's holding it out, waiting for the one who is worthy to accept this title deed from the earth. Okay? Not only is this scroll the title deed, but it has seven seals. Okay? And as these seals are unraveled, these seals represent judgments on this world and on the current age, on the individuals. And these judgments are devastating. And they're destructive. Let's pick up in Revelation 5. This is John who is uh, being given revelation by God. This is the, and it picks up here. This is John speaking. Then I saw at the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that is God, sitting on the throne, in the right hand of the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. And this is John. I wept 
and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. John is weeping because here is the scroll that can change the curse, that can right the wrongs, that can give us this new heaven, this new earth, take away the pain and suffering, and no one was worthy to come and get it. And so John begins to weep. You mean that life is going to carry on the way that it has with this destruction and this sadness and this sickness? Then one of the elders says to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. There is one worthy. And then I saw a lamb. This is John, which is interesting. We look at that there. The elder says, see the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And then in 6, John says, then I saw a lamb. He is one and the same. Looking as if it had been slain. Standing, and I love that little, little section there, the lamb that had been slain, the lamb that had been sacrificed, his blood spilled for our iniquities. Standing, the wounds of a slain lamb that has overcome death. Standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders, the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the, the seven spirits of God who sent them into all the earth. And I know this can get a little tricky here. Reading the Bible can be hard to understand sometimes, but the seven horns, that represents power in the animal kingdom. The horns was, was a sign of power. Seven being the sign of perfection in God's numbers. This means perfect power. This is a lamb with absolute perfect power. And the seven eyes, which is the Holy Spirit who's feeding him that omniscience, that all-knowing, all-understanding God. This is what we see. This is not a meek lamb that came the first time and kept his mouth shut as he went to this year's. This is a lamb of power and knowledge. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. God hands this one lamb the scroll. We don't have time to dive into these judgments, but here's an example of some of the reactions. The people who will be alive at this time as the, the lamb unrolls these judgments and we see these terrible destructive things going on to this world that has rejected God and rejected his son. Here we pick up in Revelation 6. Then the kings of the earth, your government if you will, your, your, your presidents, your world leaders, the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in the caves among the rocks of the mountains. And they called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For great, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? This is a very different Lamb that comes back a second time, isn't it? God, like the lion under that tree in the middle of Africa, he's patient. He's long-suffering. This world, sinful world, laughs and barks at the name of Jesus, doesn't it? I hear that word much more often as a curse word than I do as praise. This is predicted in Scripture, however. Everything is according to plan. There's not one thing that's not where it's supposed to be. We look in 2 Peter chapter 3. Here's a, Peter say, they will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it is always from the beginning of creation. The jackals. 
They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out by water, out of water and by water. And by these waters, also the world of that time was diluged and destroyed, the flood. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. That doesn't sound too good. Being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly, the day that the, the lamb comes and takes that scroll. The jackals and the hyenas, they may scoff, laugh, bark, and they get bolder and bolder. But when that lion gets up, in a blink of an eye, it's going to be torn to pieces. And I admit it's tempting sometimes to want to see that happen. The wicked and sinful who are enemies of Christ and enemies of us, for those that do our best to follow him, they don't like us either. But let's not forget those of us who believe on the name of Jesus that we were once enemies of God. We were shown mercy by the blood, not because we were better than anybody else or did something. God accepted us in the place we were. And we've been shown mercy. Let's make sure we have a heart of, chi uh, of Christ to preach to the ungodly, to preach to the hostile, to give them the chance to repent and turn as we've been given. We've we got to be careful not to fall into a judgy position there. We don't get to boast. It is Christ's sacrifice, nothing from Jesse, all from him. And when we understand that, the heart should change from just an anger, and I get angry when I see this, as I'm sure you do. We turn from anger to a pitiful and a sadness to want to reach those people and pluck them from death. I had a, a great mentor of mine, uh, by the name of Joe, who, who taught me a lot in the, in the business and sales. And he had this phrase here. It's not a no sale that upsets me. It's the no try that upsets me. You see, from fear of rejection, which is a pretty normal thing, as salespeople, we would sometimes really not ask you to purchase something because you might say no. You might reject us. And he says, I need you to, to do that. If they say no, they say no. But to not try... To not even do it, that's not okay. That didn't work in his book. And I think if we're honest, we've all got some no tries in our life right now. Rejection of losing that relationship, persecution. It's not the no sale. That's not our job. Jesus does the saving. But we are called to do the tries. We're called to preach the word and share the word. And I understand that's difficult as young believers. I understand in certain relationships that's hard to cross. Live the light. Live differently by, if nothing else. If you can't find the, the courage, and sometimes I find myself in that position. I can't find the words right then and there. But I do my best to live in a way that shows there is a commandment from God and that there is a Jesus that I serve. And that's different rules than the set of rules you have. And by that light, I pray the Lord opens a window that I can share that gospel. We cannot go through our life with no tries. There are people you're going to meet I will never meet. People I'm going to meet that you'll never meet, and so on. You're in that place for a reason. If you know God, start getting those tries in. Plant those seeds. Let God do the work he needs to work. 
And if you don't yet trust in Jesus, if you're coming to church because you think it's, it's going to help your day and uplift you, believe me, I thought I had a positive message. I, I was going to do trust in the Lord in, in terrible times. It was going to be super positive today, super uplifted. And boy, the Lord just shut that down about a week ago and put this on my heart. Because the truth is what matters, isn't it? We're here to, to understand the truths of God. We're not here to be swayed or emotionally lifted. Yes, we want to lift each other up. That's what this body is for. But we're here to know the truth. The good, the bad, and the ugly. If you haven't given your life to Christ yet, if you haven't allowed Christ's blood to save you from yourself, from your sinfulness, don't wait. As long as you have breath in your lungs, there is time to receive salvation. He offers an escape from this judgment, a freedom from the death that will keep you separated. You need to confess those sins. You need to understand, I am wrong and God is right. I have disobeyed those commandments. I'm not the one who makes these rules. And you need to turn. You repent. You say, Lord, I believe. And not do I just believe and I'm going to go keep living my same old life. I believe and I want to leave that life and come to live the life you have me to live. It is a journey and it is a struggle. And let me tell you, I've been a believer a long time. There are a lot of ups and downs. And it doesn't get easier as these wonderful churches would like to tell you. Give it to Christ and he'll fix all your stuff. When you connect with Christ, you put the same target on your back that he had on his back. That's the cross we bear. That's the cross you're called to bear. It's time to confess that we are not righteous in and of ourselves, but sinners in need of saving. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for your written word. We thank you for the opportunity to study it. We thank you for this, this church and the sheep here, Lord, that you've brought us together. We ask that you help to strengthen us. Help us to be better at strengthening each other. Give us a boldness. Give us a courage, Lord, in this world that is so hostile. These jackals, these hyenas that are laughing because they say, where is God? Give us a heart that reaches out to them, that sees past the sin, that sees past the differences. Help us, as you did, Lord, when you were here in physical form, to reach those sinners, to commune, and to share the good news with them, Lord. Help us to understand it is by your blood and your blood alone that we are saved. It is not ourselves. Keep us from pride. Give us strength. Give us the ability to lead our families in this tough time when it seems like, how, what, what chance do our kids have in this society, Lord? But you, the Holy Spirit, you can reach them. And you reach them through men and women. As you've always done, broken vessels, Lord. Help us to be faithful to the day of our death or the day of your return. In your son's name, amen.